0: yeah start making mistakes early so that way you don't make them again later
1: oh yeah that uh, phrase uh,
0: if you're gonna fa-
1: fail fast yeah so what it is oh fail yeah, fast fail, fail fast. often yeah mm-hmm. I tell that to
2: all of our people now and they're like yeah like and like like that's probably like one of my like top three sayings like hey just fail quick like fail fast fail often like do it as quick as possible and then try not to make that mistake again so.
1: everybody to Commonwealth Connections. I'm your host, Dawson Fields, with my co-host Weston Wilson. Welcome to the first podcast recording of 2024. And today we have Alan Warford in the studio. So Alan, thanks for coming on.
2: Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This is
1: wonderful. Making the trek all the way from Lawrenceburg. Oh yeah. I've um, been here today. So Alan, can I give a little background? Where did it all start?
2: Yeah, man. Born and raised uh, in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, and then ended up going to the University of Kentucky host uh, graduation high school. And uh, yeah, and it's I've been in Lexington since then up until about four or five years ago. And then once we got married, we ended up living in Lexington for a little while, me and my wife, and then we moved back to Lawrenceburg. So
0: what was the cool. reason for going back to Lawrenceburg?
2: Um, man, it was, uh. so this is the, this will already get into personal story, but um, my, my parents lived there. And once we started thinking about having kids and, Pace of life that we wanted. Oddly enough, my wife's mom lives in Lawrenceburg too. Even though they are from uh, Las Vegas, okay, born and raised Las Vegas, so they randomly moved from Las Vegas, Nevada to Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. That's a change of pace. It is a change of pace. So we just randomly we laugh. We're like, God must have known that we wanted us to be in Lawrenceburg because both of our parents live in Lawrenceburg. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, so it's good at, to be close to parents, man. It is. It's yeah. great. So yeah. So family is. That's, that's one of the main reasons was family, also just proximity to, um, to Louisville, to Lexington, to Frankfurt, and mainly just the pace of life being slower. So we love it out there. It's
1: awesome. Good small town feel. Good small town feel. Yeah. Exactly. So, so, so what'd you major in at UK?
2: Yeah. So I majored in um, architecture at UK, so um, College of Design. Um, and then I had a minor in communications and kind of graphic design, even though that wasn't, a, uh, wasn't offered yet. So it's when you know you're old, it's like, oh, they didn't offer that. For me, so. Now now that's a whole thing. Now it's a whole thing. So, yeah. Now they have product design and graphic design and all kinds of stuff. So and they have a pretty new building that they're doing and all
0: that stuff. So So what was your first job coming out of college? Uh, what did you think you were gonna do when you were in college? And what what did you think your first job was going to be? What was it actually? Oh, man.
2: So so my first job um, out of college was actually on staff at uh, CSF, on staff at Christian Student Fellowship. And so um, I had known that once I had graduated that I wanted to kind of be in ministry for a little bit. And I kind of thought it was going to be for a few years. And then after a year, it was like, um, this is not going to happen. No, it wasn't that it was bad. It was that like I felt like I was calling me elsewhere, more specifically to the business world. So um, so I think my my first job was actually um, outside of that was uh, after CSF for a year, was I worked downtown um, as an executive assistant for a music producer, which is kind of off. It was not in the plans of like, oh, I'm going to work for a guy who composes music. But it got, his name was Tony Anderson. And so I was his assistant and helped him with stuff for a year. Uh, And then I've always had my own company. So I've just known like, oh, I'm probably going to launch my own business. Um, And so that's kind of, I had started the side hustles of doing woodworking and some of those things in design school that I was passionate about as soon as I left college. And then that slowly kind of worked its way into launching the company that we're at now. So... So what was the first company you launched? So the first company we launched was um, was Craft Goods, which is, uh, it was a woodworking company and um, and it's still uh, operational. Like it still like exists. But me and a buddy of mine were both connecting over woodworking and like uh, doing stuff out of our garage and then we decided to do it together. And it was just kind of like a hobby business for several years. Um, but, uh, and then from there uh, we ended up Building we, we always joked that we built bigger things. So we started with cutting boards and then went to tables and you know, then you know, it just kept going bigger and bigger. And then eventually me and my brother launched a rental company for farm tables, which is kind of launched out of the woodworking um, ordeal. Yeah. And then from there we this new company was kind of a separate arena, but all in the same, the same
0: aesthetic. So are you completely self-taught? Cause you didn't exactly go to school for woodworking. Are you, did you just kind of watch YouTube videos and yeah, pick it up and I feel like so buy more and more tools. And
2: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, so the woodworking portion was the really the start of our company now because we we do contract. I mean, a lot of what we do is design, contracting, renovation, and stuff in houses. So the start of that really was being in Lawrenceburg. So so backstory on Lawrenceburg. I I grew up on a farm, which is not everyone's story, but I grew up raising tobacco and. Uh, we had cattle and we used to do dairy and all kind of stuff. So I have always kind of worked with my hands and done stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and then I also took art classes and stuff in high school. I never took shop, but it was also kind of like a tangible work with your hands thing. Uh, and then we learned actually shop in architecture school. So they have a wood shop at the okay. architecture program. So that's really where that started where you're like building and making models and learning some of the tools, um, But beyond that, it really was trial and error YouTube and, you know, hoping you don't cut your finger off as you're learning how to use power tools and stuff like that. So, Yeah, um, it's cool. Yeah,
0: that's great. It's just, it's kind of mind-blowing. You just go from, like, there's a big learning curve from a cutting board to a table. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, my my sister-in-law is in, like, went to Vermont to a specific, like, woodworking school Mm -hmm. for three, three and a half years. So, I don't know much, but... From hearing her talk about it like definitely Mm -hmm. when you're doing that type of stuff it's it's no joke like when you kind of get up there
2: yeah yeah it's wild it's like there's something very different it's interesting being in the industry we're in now versus like what i used to do like in my garage as a woodworker because it was like okay it was in my this is also my experience my opinion it was miserable like it's it was it's hard work because you're like sweaty it's like not Air conditioned and heated in most people's shop scenario, and then it's like if you don't have dust collection set up, you're basically like signing up for asthma and all of these things because right, you're just right. the conditions are not super wonderful, um, and the work is super hard. And people also have so many options for affordable Target and Amazon furniture that your you know two thousand dollar bed doesn't seem like such a good deal, you know. Right And so it's kind of a, it was a hard spot to be in, and it was a it was great from the lens of like learning the craft and learning how to run a company and um all of that, but it was very difficult unless you're doing really high end stuff or super high volume it's very 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 hard and then now we're kind of more in the contracting arena, which I also think is a little bit more digestible for people, where people are like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna spend you know."
0: I want these custom built-ins. Yeah, or That's something like exactly. They're already expecting a high budget. Exactly. But when you say, "Hey, I'm going to charge you six thousand dollars for this table," they're like yes. jaw drops. Yeah, they're like, they're I like want "Oh, bath- I can go on Facebook Marketplace and mm-hmm. get that for three hundred bucks." Yeah. If they're spending six thousand dollars, they want a bathroom. They don't want just a table, or right. they want right.
2: like a custom shower. Or it's 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 kind of one of those things where it's like the industry is is a more it's more digestible from that lens on like a. A contracting arena. So so we're definitely in different spheres but I always credit the woodworking to like my attention for detail and all of that. So when we're going through a property like that you know woodworker designer brain is always there of like oh like is this good enough and then for me the answer is always no. Yeah. It's got to be done this it way. it will be better. E- exactly. So um, but yeah so it, it really was I think that the that company was the catalyst for where we're at now on the practical side of things like you know being in the construction design kind of sphere, it went really well with my degree, uh, and then also me and my brother had all. I mean, since we were in middle school, we're like, man, one day we're gonna we're gonna start a business together, and and we're best friends and always have been, and so I think that like us both having like families and being married, we took a trip out west and we're talking about things, and it kind of was like the natural like moment of like, all right, we got to do something like.
0: This is the time. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so you go from woodworking. Where do you launch to next? All right. From woodworking. Well, wood, 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 woodworking is still existing, I guess. And yeah, yeah. So, capacity. Sure. It's sure. It's just not your main focus.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we we launched that in 2016, and then, um, and yeah, and and I think from there, or as that was there, was a similar time was. Where I was downtown working as that assistant, Uh, then I ended up getting a job over at A Cup of Commonwealth. So that was the next step. Uh, And I was their uh, marketing and branding director over there, which was still kind of design space, kind of more in like the social media kind of arena, big picture branding. And then I also was there to kind of help launch Chocolate Holler, which that was right at the foundation of BB in there. So I did all of like the menus, logo, branding, built the tables inside, you know, renovated and... So, it makes
0: sense. Cause I always thought they had like nice stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I, that was, I always call that my brain child on the physical side of things like yeah. the, the way it looks. And, um, and so that was one of the first projects that we had when I had taken on uh, that position. And then from there, stepped into co-ownership probably within about a year um, and then was there for a couple of years after.
0: What did that look like? That transition? The the co-ownership yeah. side. Yeah. So we just ended up from there. Um,
2: It was, you know, you're was it just new- in
0: Chocolate Hauler, or was it? Mm-hmm. It was in Chocolate Holler
2: and a cup of Okay. Yeah. But, you know, when you're launching a new store and you're there and you're getting it up, you're, you know, we were spending 80, 90 hours a week just going at it for a very long time. And I just think that as things naturally progressed, that's kind of where the trajectory of my role kind of went um, to, to some degree. And it wasn't in like a, you know, partnership capacity, but just kind of more as like a, had a small share um, in, in, stake in the company
0: but uh but yeah how much did you have if you don't mind Uh, yeah seven percent okay yeah so so um, enough to get you like skin in the game and sure like yeah you have some value and...
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you were doing a lot of the work launch in the chocolate hauler.
2: Yeah, it was kind of like a... All that th- sweat
1: equity. Yeah,
2: it. it really was that. It was it was started on this position. Um, was, it was friends with Sal. Sal was really wonderful. Uh, and then just, I think, over time and, you know, working eighty ninety hours a week, it just kind of like it really, you sweat your way into those opportunities because you're, you're bought in. And so I think that right. there was just, he saw buy-in in that, op- percent, or in that with me um, and we just became good friends and um, and then saw that with you know another uh, person on his staff as well. So there were two of us that also had some some ownership as well. So there was yeah, that's kind of the natural progression of how it got there.
0: Good for you and good for Sal. I think that's really cool when business owners, you know, give up a little bit of their baby to mm-hmm. bring on an employee that's really committed and dedicated. Yeah, one, I think it brings a lot of longevity into it mm-hmm. uh, out of that employee and a lot of uh, extra like dedication. Mm-hmm. Typically, they stay around longer. Yeah. Um. Because if they work eighty, ninety hours a week and they're not compensated either by a, a lot of income, mm-hmm. which a lot of businesses don't. Yeah. Small mm-hmm. businesses when they're starting out and they're wanting to grow, they don't have just a ton of money to just pour out because they're trying to grow that coffee money. <laughs> um. You know, the equity is really all that you can like yeah. kind of provide, and that helps provide even more buy-in. Mm-hmm. It shows a lot of appreciation. Yeah. I mean, that's that's something that we're trying to do with Culvers. Sure. Um, You know, we just bought a restaurant this year. GM that's been doing a great job and that's been really committed to us. We let him buy in as a partner yeah. in that um new location that we bought and yeah. he's been running things down there and doing a great job and yeah. you know we see him as a long-term player and so yeah. um that's the way to you know reward him.
2: Yeah. Having seen it in the game has been like something I've seen tangibly for me. Like it's like a motivating tool, but also it's like like you're you're never going to find someone as committed as someone who has stake in the company. You know, even like you're, now you might have super committed managers or whatever, but it's like, there's there's just something different when like there's a little bit of you on the line. And so I think that that's really what was helpful in that scenario. Um, I think beneficial to Cup and Holler in the time that I had there, but also really beneficial for me, you know, for the next thing. So that it was like once, you know, which we ended up doing, like once I launched that company with my brother, it allowed me the opportunity to, you know, for those shares to actually have a little bit of monetary return and, you know, not a lot, but a little bit because it is, it is coffee money. And there was, that was never any, it was always the biggest desire was always, you know, doing what I felt like I was calling me to and being bought into the culture of a place more than the monetary. And so I was really bought in at cup. I really love my time there. Um, but just felt like the next thing that was had for me was that company with my brother. And, um, and ultimately that that's been the last, you know, three and a half, four years as us running stuff together.
0: You still own shares of cup or no?
2: No. Okay. Yeah. That was actually, um, um, Like the transition there was, you know, selling shares, the shares that I did have and taking that time to build that company that I launched with Luke. Which is I, I really think that like my if I'm looking at like all of the history of like me owning and running businesses, it goes like mode yards in high school. And then like the next one is like running a DJing company. Um, and then it was like mowing yards in high school. Like I ended up like my dad kind of took that over. I didn't receive any monetary benefit, but he just kind of mowed the yards that I did. And then now he has like a 45 yard mowing company, which is funny. That's dope. Huh? Yeah. And then the bluegrass V, when I owned it, um, another friend had started it, and then I had taken it over. Um, but at the end of that six years of owning it, I sold it, the company and the equipment, and um, used that as the seed money for craft goods eventually. And so, and then. Once I worked at Cup, then I, you know, sold my shares there to start Warford & Co. And so it's like, I, that's been kind of my, my whole arena is like, I didn't, you know, I grew up in a rural farming community and the way that I've been able to make steps has been like slow steps to buy and sell my company or stakes that I had in company in order to fund the company that we currently have now. So I think that there's a lot of value in that. It's also kind of an interesting thing in small business world Because, like, when you start saying like shares or stocks or stuff like that, like, that doesn't really
0: apply. Right. Um,
2: Mm -hmm. Because it's a lot smaller, but it is the same principle.
0: What's really cool is that someone who I've taken interest in is Alex Mm Hermosi. I've been watching a lot of his videos, and something he talks about is like find something that works and just keep doing it. And it might be really boring, but if it's like continually like making growth steps, Mm then that's like a successful strategy mm-hmm. and yes it might be really boring but if it if it's working it's working and so just keep doing the same thing and it seems like you've been you might have like shifted focuses yeah. but you've continued to compound what you've you know what you've made over here and then turn it into this mm-hmm. and you're just doing the same thing over and over again and it keeps growing yeah and uh, it's really setting you up for the next stage. So it's really cool. Yeah, for sure.
2: And that's like, that I mean, honestly, that's the story of like, if you're getting to like the business details of like, oh, how are you able to fund XYZ? It's like, that was it, you know, because it wasn't, right. I didn't have money in the bank. And I've always kind of been more like, like the, I've always worked hard. I think growing up on a farm does that to you because you're just always like, you know, I watch my dad and granddad Work their full time jobs and then come home and work until dark, and then wake up at five a.m. and feed the cows, and then go back to work, and then, you know. So I came from that culture, and so I've always kind of thought like, oh, like I, I was taught like, oh, you have to earn what you make, like right you now, earn your keep. Um, and so, like, whenever friends of mine were hanging out on weekends, I did still get to hang out in college. But I a lot of times was like, when I was in school, I was up till three, four in the morning working on my studio projects, and on the weekends I was DJing weddings and. You know, saying no to some of those weekend hangouts, but all for the hope that it would pay out, you know? Right. And I remember the first, so the very first company I sold was the DJing Company. And I remember just being like, and we sold it for like $10,000. And at the time I was like, oh my gosh, we just sold this. I was like, this is the biggest. And we split it two ways because I had a partner in it. So I'm like, it was like $5,000. Right.
1: Know? Yeah. Um, what, what was your thought process there? Because I'm just imagining like going through how do we sell a company? Like, oh man. Well, that was. You remember what the like uh, first thing, like, what made you all be like, "All right, we should sell now." How do we do it? Yeah, yeah. So it was the DJing company ran as like
2: a weekend warrior throughout all of college because you know I still had college to do and classes and stuff. And then for like two to three years after college, we we did it more. Um, And all that's what I'm saying. My whole life has been side hustles. Like I was doing woodworking and DJing along with my job, just trying to put little you know nest eggs away of capital. but um but yeah it's interesting cuz the, the first thought is like who would want to buy this you know um and like what are you know and then you're like determining your worth and you're like well I'm at least worth what the equipment's worth and then all of the time and the equity that you have in it and like your intellectual property um the branding and the marketing like there's I didn't know about any of that stuff so it was kind of like to me I'm like if someone gives me a, anything I'll be happy you know and right. so right if
0: you at least get your money back on the equipment,
2: exactly. Like, so, yeah, so the first company was really that I got the money back on the equipment and maybe some on the name. Um, looking back, it's like, oh, it probably could have gone for three to four times what I did sell it for, um, but it was like a learning opportunity and to be grateful for what I had and go from there. So, yeah, um, but yeah, but it's yeah. they didn't teach that in architecture school, so um, right, a lot of my stuff is like trial and error and learning it, and I think it's good for people like if to learn it young, you know, like learn it when you're in your twenties and stuff. So that way by the time you have a family and kids and all that, then you've you've kind of learned those lessons.
0: Yeah. Start making mistakes early. So that way you don't make them again later. Oh yeah. Uh, I phrase that uh, if you're going to
1: fa- fail fast. Yeah. That's what it is. Oh, I'll fail, yeah, fail, fail fast, fail often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I tell that to
2: all of our people now and they're like, yeah, like I'm like, they, that's probably like one of my like top three sayings. Like, Hey, just fail quick, like fail fast, fail often. Like, do it as quick as possible, and then try not to make that mistake again. So,
0: yeah, my employees always will be asking a million questions, and I'm like, I don't know the answers, and they're like, shouldn't you know the answers? And I'm like, no, I don't. But I was like, <laughs> if you screw up, I'm not going to be mad at you. Just don't do it again. Like, yeah. that's fine. Like, yeah, you know, like, what's the $500 going to cost True. at the end of the day? Yeah, you know, like, yeah, it's a $500 mistake. Is that optimal? No, but that's business. Yeah. So just don't make the $500 mistake again. If you like turn around next week and do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to be pissed at you. But if you do it one time, it's like, well, I didn't know. You didn't know. So let's just get over it and move on. You know, it's 500 bucks. Yeah. Would it be nice to have the 500 bucks? Yes. But I can't worry about what's already happened. Sure. You know what I mean? Just don't do it again.
2: Yeah. No, I think it's definitely one of those things where it's like, I always tell our people, I would much rather someone have initiative and make a mistake than someone not make a step. Because it's like, if you're not making a step and just kind of waiting to see what happens or waiting for next direction, then it's like, not only is money getting paid out, but like no return is happening. Mm -hmm. Like a a mistake is a learned, that's like a return for the future. So a mistake where that is learned, that is, you know, actions taken where it doesn't happen again, is actually not just probably saving you money, but making you money in the future. So there's just a, there's a ton of intangibles in business that just, you know.
0: I I had a friend that, does or I, I have a friend that does real estate and he's like people pay 40k 50k over a four-year time frame to go to college mm-hmm. but they're not willing to make a two thousand dollar mistake on a real estate deal dude. and he was like i just don't understand it he was like you know like why can't they just like try to if they're willing to go to college but they're not willing to like mm-hmm. make a business mistake that costs them money what's the difference sure because that $2,000 lesson, probably not going to make it again.
2: Yeah, yeah. You no, know, so. The expensive mistakes are the ones that like, you learn from.
0: But you pay for school and you don't, like, what do I remember from school? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm probably not using a lot of the information that I paid for, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. but I remember the big mistakes that cost me a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Still today, you oh, know, yeah. like those sit in your brain. So, <laughs> yeah, we actually have one. T- so, man, this is, this is great.
2: So, um, we have a few of those mistakes in our time, but um, yeah, let's dive into those my my favorite my favorite one is uh and this is where like my wife's voice is in my head, and also my brother's wife's voice is in his of like man that was really stupid of you all um but we ended up uh wanting to get a bunch of lumber to build the farm tables so I'd say one of the one of the biggest learning curves for us and risks was the step um into launching the wedding and event rental company because that was really like the crux between hey, I'm a part of these either companies people have started um, in like Bluegrass Beat and taking that over. Um, and with like Craft Cause it was just kind of like a hobby. But then I worked as an assistant for Tony. And then I worked, you know, starting as a, I was always under somebody or with someone. And then this was like the first step into like, this is the like the Warford name, you know, like the family company. So that crux of those six months was just so much learning um, and, and a lot of risk. Um, but one of the things was we were looking to build all those tables to start the rental, the rental company. So we had to build 20 farm tables. And so we found this guy with lumber with the, at, a, at a great price. And he's like, Hey, you know, here's my address. It's like Facebook marketplace. And so we go and it's just like the most like country ridiculous place of all time. It's like in some dude's backyard. That's not his. And I'm like, this was probably stolen. <laughs> like
1: it. Facebook Marketplace, just not really uh, coming for the. This win. is coming from you. I like, grew up in Lawrenceburg, small yeah, town. Yeah, yeah. This that. is I'm
2: used to that, and I was like, this is a next level. And so we get there, and like we load it up, and we only load, you know, half of the lumber because we could, we couldn't fit all of that in our trailer. And so he's like, oh yeah, well, you know, go ahead and pay pay me for it all, and then I'll come drop this off to you when I'm, you know, heading that way next week. And then, you know, little old me, we're just like, oh yeah, that sounds good. And so we just write him a check for the whole thing. And then we just get ghosted, ghosted, like never hear from him, call him back. He made up a bunch of like, he, he was, he had us on the line for a little while. And then after about two weeks, he just like blocked our numbers, got rid of So like, that was like, you know. A two- Did you ever show up on a doorstep? I will like, say you know where he was. Well, it wasn't his house. So he was smart. So this oh, was wow. someone else's house that was a storage building that he had met on another platform. And he said, hey, like, can I rent this space for this lumber? So he had no, ad- I didn't know, I no address, no phone number, no anything. To come to find out that there were four or five other police reports about him, where he did this. He right did so
0: did he have it locked up in this building?
2: Yeah, yeah. Could have
0: just gone up there with some lock. Well, no, they he, he, he their- sold
2: he sold it out from under me. So I found oh, out that he had sold it out from man. under me. Like he had taken all the money, and then he had another outfit come the next day and get
1: the rest of it. So, Dang. So anyway, like two, so d- two deals and oh yeah, he gave, got, gave him half. D- each.
2: Double dip and gave half each. Yeah. So it's just one of those all interesting. uh Interesting situations, but yeah, you learn from that, and
0: then- I, I learned that lesson in college. Yeah, um I it wasn't business related, but I bought a motorcycle mm-hmm. that I didn't have money for. Like literally, I, I under offered the guy, um like three hundred bucks, mm-hmm. um and I gave him a broken iPhone. I was like, "Take this broken iPhone, and if you get it fixed, it'll like sell for two hundred or something like that." Like, like we shook on it, you know? Yeah and within 2 weeks of riding uh, having the motorcycle I broke the chain. Oh man. Oh. And so I took it down to the shop and this guy's like, "Yeah, I can put a new chain on it for you." And it was like I you just need to prepay me. Mm, dude, it dude. was like a, over a month before I got it and the chain was put on improperly. Like dude. there was a kink in it and I was just like,
1: "This is terrible." Dude. Prepaying, man. Never prepay. Never
2: prepay anything. That's that's
0: the rule.
1: Like, or no. listen to your wife. That's probably the better rule. But so next <laughs> time I come to Culver's, I'm not going to pay until I have
0: my food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the um, the only thing I would prepay for today is like supplies for a contractor. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not. Sure. I wouldn't prepay for the labor. Yeah. But I would if if they wanted like if they wanted me to buy the paint or the drywall. Sure. Like, yeah, I'll buy that. I mean, it's still mine, right? Yeah. But. I'm still going to need it for the job, but I'm not going to prepay for the labor that you're going to do on this job. Like if you can't front that yourself in some capacity and we can't set up like, okay, you do this work for a week. And then I pay you for what you just did Mm -hmm. for one week. Like maybe the whole job doesn't need to be done, but we can break it up into like, you know, weekly payments or something like that. Or Mm -hmm. heck I'd even be willing to go a three day payment, Yeah, whatever. But like, I'm not, I'm not just going to be like, yeah, here's the whole job up front. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, it, it's it, not
2: happening. Also, it's like, yeah, this This is also contingent on there being like a contract. So this right. is one of the things where it's like, this is why a handshake doesn't work. And being someone from Lawrenceburg in like a culture where like, I think I'm, you know, just naturally more trusting. And I'm like, oh, well, like, you know, Joe said that he would do this and he'll do this. And um, I think that like. That can happen anywhere, but when you get to like bigger cities or different, like that's not how everybody operates. Right, and so I've definitely had to be like I've gotten bit enough times where I'm like, regardless of if you do are, do lean more toward being a trusting person, you still have to make sure all your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed. Get a contract, get an agreement, make sure you do things the right way, and you know, take the time and inconvenience to do something the right way.
0: Yeah, have a lawyer look at it. Yeah.
2: And make
0: sure that the wording is binding, because that screwed me over one time. Oh yeah, so I had a contract where the wording wasn't binding, so I had zero ability to take them to, to take court them to or court. anything on this. And that one probably cost me uh, eighty thousand dollars. Oh man, so Oof. that's a good one.
1: Uh, yeah, that's be- that's uh, a good lesson right there. That's bigger than any my lesson.
0: And and all to save guys, just. Anyone listening, all to save two thousand dollars. So spend the two thousand dollars to save yourself eighty. Man, uh, I'm still paying for that one. So yeah, man, Woo, that hits hard. But it, it, I mean, you absolutely
2: learn from a lesson like yeah. that. There's no other option. It. Yeah, won't you, you forget won't forget it. it, and you're still not forgetting it every time you make that payment. You know, <laughs> nope. so it's funny because my wife's an attorney, so I always joke my attorneys on uh, or my uh, my attorneys on retainer. Um, so yeah, there you so go. it's what you say. I'm always just like. She gets to gets to run it by like, hey, make sure you think about this. And but I, I would say, like, to your recommendation, like people specialize in these different things for a reason. Like, right. don't be your CPA for your company. If there's someone who's a CPA who's really wonderful. And like as a small business, you're always trying to navigate what things can I afford to pay out. So like I'm still our bookkeeper. I still do all of our books right. and all of that right now, even right now. But like there's certain items like Have an attorney look over contracts. Have your CPA tell you about tax stuff. Like, there's probably like the big four or five, you know, that you want to make sure someone
1: is doing. Like, they're excellent at that for a purpose. So,
0: yeah. But um, we gotta
1: build that network and essentially team around you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we 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 forked out a couple thousand dollars to a CPA on a on a deal that we did, and because we needed specific, our CPA isn't local. And we needed specific Kentucky advice. Sure, And we we forked out a couple grand for the CPA and she found a, Mm. oh gosh, it was like a $60,000 savings Mm. that we just like didn't know about. Yeah. Our CPA didn't know about because it was specific Kentucky law. Sure. We didn't know about because we'd never heard of it before. Mm -hmm. And that was like a big deal. Um, because we were going to have this massive tax bill. We were going to have an $80,000 tax bill. And it turned out to be like a, only a $26,000 tax bill. Mm. So it was like huge, yeah, a huge like savings and just literally paying the CPA $2,000 to sure. look into this issue for us. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, what yeah. a great return on investment.
2: Yeah. No, you I know. think that like an attorney and a CPA are the like two that, that I can think of that I'm like, will save you the most monetary or trouble in the long haul. And yeah. I think that like people... Think like, oh, I'm going to, like you said, I'm going to save $2,000, i am going to try to save $2,000 here. And like, I don't think that's ever like the, the best mentality should be like, how am I setting myself up for success? And, it, right. you know, not just financial, but like, you know, from like a risk standpoint and all of that. And then usually I think like the money will come like later on. So yeah. that's kind of what we've seen. So, but yeah, we've had a risk, but they've been, you know, it, yeah, things like that have been risky. Um, you know, but you like learning from mistakes and, you know, not making those mistakes again is, it's important. Get get the right people on your bus.
0: Right. Yeah. So launching from your uh, lumber mistake <laughs> <laughs> and chocolate hauler and all that, what was the business um, that you kind of launched into after chocolate hauler? Mm-hmm. And then how's that gotten you to where you are today?
1: Sure.
2: Yeah.
0: So, um, so after that,
2: we had, so the company we launched was, uh, and co, which is event rentals. And so that was really like the starting point of like me and my brother working together, us launching our family business. Um, and that was, uh, about four years ago. Um, and so, um, and that is really funny The you know, talking about risk of like, Hey, not being willing to spend money on certain things, but you're willing to take out loans for school. So, um, I had, you know, six months and whatever nest eggs that I did have from our companies up. But that still wasn't enough to like, it takes a lot to like launch your own thing. Um, and so, and for this one is the first uh, company that we really had to get intense inventory because you're not just, you know, you're built, we built all 20 farm tables. We had to order a bunch of chairs. We had backdrops, all kind of stuff. So um, we actually ended up starting the company by using credit cards, which is hilarious. And uh, it seems extremely risky, but it, we had it super calculated. We were like, okay, we're going to take out, we couldn't even qualify for more than like six thousand dollars on a credit card so we each took out like three or four this is like no joke
1: and so yeah
2: which is wild but it was very calculated because i was like i know wedding industry because of bluegrass beat i know how many we're going to need to pay these back and we're going to get zero interest cards for a year and we're just going to make it work by that year and so that's exactly what we did and we paid off thirty two thousand dollars of credit card debt in one year and we hit it to the month That's Um, awesome. Which is great. And then it was like, everything was paid for. So then by year two, everything was profit. Um, And I know that sounds super risky. It's like, we still had some money. Like it wasn't like we just were like $0 and we're going for it. But like we did everything on at that arena because at that time we were still like, we didn't have equity to pull from things. We didn't have property. We we really were like bottom of the barrel. And at that point in time, credit cards were just like, people were being like, oh, zero interest, everything kind of giving them out to You know, whoever, and so we were just trying to like be smart with capitalizing on that, while still knowing we had capital if something did happen where we could contribute. But that was the way that we actually got the
1: inventory to start. I mean, that sounds risky, but you got profitable quicker than most businesses do starting. Exactly. Well, and you weren't paying interest. We weren't paying interest.
0: And a lot of people, what a lot of people don't understand, unless you have like a really simple sales avenue with a really cheap product, Mm -hmm. you're probably taking a significant risk to start a business. Yeah. Period. Of some shape or form. Sure. You know? Yeah. Um, typically and and even if like the thirty two thousand, even if you had to start paying interest on some of that, it's not like it was all due. Yeah. Like on that like the first month that the interest went away. You just yeah. had to start paying interest on it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was digestible. So
2: it it's it's wild because like thinking about launching companies and thinking like it's such a hard spot, especially if you've never done it before. And it's like I had had two companies, three companies prior and never had to, you know, launch something from scratch like that. Um, Right. And so it's like there's, you know, there's more than one. There's no recipe for anything business wise. You can go the route of investors. You can ask family for savings. You can work a job to put away savings. Our company, ours was a combination of we had a savings. We decided to use leverage debt in a way that we thought was um, was calculated. And then we also were still doing side hustles. I mean, I was still doing contracting this whole time. Right. Throughout the my whole story from 2015 on has just been like, anytime we needed capital or I needed to, you know, eat a eat a Culver's burger, I was uh, I was going to like someone's house to help renovate their whatever, lay floors or, right. you know. So, um, so side hustles were really important to get into where we are. But yeah, so essentially that company allowed us independence and steps to step apart. Uh, and then as we stepped apart, um, in, in into renting that company, uh, we ended up deciding, um, as I was doing contracting and stuff. And as my brother was kind of looking to step away from his gig, you know, we were like, what other avenues could add to this? Because starting a rental company was not paying both of our salaries immediately. You know, we were started out paying ourselves like $500 a month stipend, which is not a lot of money. Um, and so we were like, Oh, well, like Alan, you're doing renovations. You know, Luke is working with this person and and we had an opportunity to renovate a house that someone was going to run as an Airbnb. And so that really was like kind of a natural organic thing. Our company now was totally unplanned by every aspect. Like me and my brother knew we want to do something together and we want to start a company because we know that like we feel like that's what we're supposed to be doing. And for our longevity and future, there's no cap to that when you're starting your own thing. But essentially, that person wanted to launch an Airbnb. We renovated the house for them. We designed and furnished the house for them. And then he said, hey, would you, you know, you guys have already renovated it. Would you want to like host it? Like be like a co-host. And so we were like, yeah, sounds good. And so we did one property. And after one property, we were like, well, if we're going to do one, we should just set up an LLC. Like, we'll just see what happens. We'll still do the rentals, but we'll do this too. And then within a year we had 12. Um, And then at the end of two years, we had 19. And at the end of two years, it was like, we can't run a rental company anymore. I mean, so, so we, we essentially ceased running the rental company because this was clearly like the more profitable, you know, with potential business. Uh, and it was something that fell more in line with what we wanted to do, you know? Right. Yeah. I didn't want to like take tables and chairs to a wedding for the rest of my life.
0: What did you do with
1: the rental equipment? Or, or what did you do with all the furniture that you built? Well, something, you're having to transport all this furniture. Mm-hmm. So do you all have like a, huge box truck i mean how are you moving all this around (laughs) so just really you all right because i mean just i mean it was how many like tables like
2: we had like 20 tables but we also had like 40 round tables and you know we had uh
1: i'm assuming those those don't break down 800 chairs these are not like folding tables you know they take up a lot of space yeah so we actually had um let's see it's a good point yeah we when we sold our
2: djing company um i had a trailer that i never sold i was like this is not a part of it i'm going to keep this trailer and then eventually I ended up trading that trailer for a bigger trailer. And then, um, and so, and once we had got started, this is another thing too is like, people are always like, oh, like I'm self-made. But I'm like, no one is self-made. Like everyone has help to some degree. And so um, when we had first started to launch um, the church that me and my brother had gone to decided that they were, didn't need their church van. So they gave, were giving their church van away. And they were like, hey, we want to bless you guys with this. So we drove a church van It was, like, so funny because it had everything scraped off of it except for Lexington, Kentucky, which is just, like, just the perfect amount of sketchy. You're just, like, driving around in your sketchy white van. And it's like, what do you guys do? And it's like, Lexington, Kentucky, man. Like, it just was so funny. That's awesome. So yeah, so we had uh the trailer from the company that I traded up and then the, the van and then that was like our starting point. And then we rented U Hauls, like you said, to to be able to do the rest. Did so. you
0: all like design the furniture to where the legs can be taken off? Or? Yep. It was okay, collapsible.
2: It. it was a uh, we, we bolted the legs on so everything was able to be flat and put in a sixteen yeah, foot trailer. Makes and some, sense. and sometimes we had to take two trucks, but that was like the beauty of, of U Haul. And that's what I'm saying. Like, you don't always have to have everything figured out for your company. Like, U Haul had that figured out. So we could just incorporate within our delivery costs the cost of U Haul, make sure that that was covered and go from there. Yeah, a Haul right. truck for a day is not expensive. Yeah, no, it's not so bad. So, yeah, so that's kind of how we got, um, you know, how we got started in that. Actually, um, you can
0: probably make money off that. Just say like $100 delivery charge. U haul and cost like twenty six bucks.
2: It could be, yeah. With mileage is where it gets interesting because it's like seventy nine cents a mile on top of your base mileage. So you're you're probably talking like forty bucks a truck plus, you know, seventy nine cents a mile. And if you're doing that in Lexington, not so bad. If you're going the Eastern Kentucky, a little different. So that's true. But yeah, so essentially, like we that that company we had that was a great question. So we the thing that's been interesting with me with any company is that we had we didn't have like failing businesses. You know, we had. We didn't have time, like, or we didn't have a desire to do it anymore. With Bluegrass beat? I mean, we were making, you know, seventy eight grand a year, and like, and we we had to turn down thirty events because, like, we were just like, this isn't what God's calling us to. We don't really feel like this is our passion anymore. We have different careers we're pursuing, so we need to sell this. I mean, it was a similar thing with the event rentals. Like, we we had grown to the point where, like, we had done fifty five events the year before. We had stopped. And then, like, people wanted to book for, you know, calendar year, actually 2024, which would be this year. Wow. Wow. And we turned, we just decided, we're like, hey, we want to go all in on this other company. And we don't have the bandwidth to contribute anymore here. Um, And we... So, like, because of that, we ended up saying no to all those people and referring them to friends of ours who had rental companies and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so in a normal scenario, we would take that and do what we did. I've done the last two companies is, oh, we get this inventory, we're going to sell it, we're going to use that kind of money and we're going to put it in. Um, but this one was a little di- bit different because we were like, we really have in the future a thought of having like a venue or doing something in that nature. Um, and so that's something that like, we decided to keep the asset. Okay. So we sold off stuff that we didn't really use. We're keeping that as an asset for the future. And truthfully, we, we were like, ran about like what we need to do with this. And we were just like, we would really love to bless someone with the, this inventory if there was an avenue for it. Um, and so we found a church, um, in, uh, in Frankfurt that's getting started and launching. And so we're actually letting them. As a startup church, use our tables and chairs for the next few years while they get started. So that's awesome, which is great. So it ended up being like we had been wanting to contribute to you know some cause financially, um, and sometimes your contributions can be time, and sometimes they can be money, but sometimes they can be assets. So
1: um, so we're we're letting them use those chairs uh, until there might be an avenue. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So current company is what we're caught up to now. So that is indoorsy. There we that's go. Correct. That's correct. Indoorsy. Right. I n n. Um, because of... I keep wanting to say
0: Endorsify.
2: Endorsify? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe we got to change it's it. It's you know, It's Endorsy. Uh, we started as, uh, which is so funny, like Warford Hospitality Co. Because me and my brother were like, you know, we're the Warfords, so you know, every moving company you know is like something and something. Like this says the last name. And then after we launched, we're like, man, that doesn't roll off the tongue at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's actually funny when we pay people, it still has our LLC, and it doesn't do the whole name, so it says Warford Hospital. So all of our employees and contractors get paid from Warford Hospital. Um, <laughs> because of the name. But yeah, so we were rebranded to indoorsy. Um and it's uh because of hotel space and Airbnb's the INN, um, kind of contributing to that portion of the name. And then the indoorsy feel kind of just being like you always hear the term outdoorsy for those folks that like to go climbing and hiking. I'm like, but what about the folks that are like like a nice space, you know, like a yeah, nice cozy right. space? So um, so yeah, so, and the, and the name behind it is, I mean, it goes a little bit deeper than that, but like we conceptually, we're just like, we always think about like for us and for our company and for, um, our faith, like, um, the story of Jesus being born and not having access to the inn and the, the whole story of Christianity on the foundation, of the birth of Jesus, there's that portion where like, they didn't have room. Right. So I was like, all right, Hey, you guys, there's not room here, but there's this place here. And so we were just talking about how like you really connect and feel you know, thinking through that story, like what empathy you would have for maybe just in that situation. And so we're like, man, we want to be a company that always, like where there's always room. Like there's always room for people, even if it isn't, um, you know, physical or a tangible space. Like anytime we encounter someone, We want them to feel like there's room for them, like that they're not a hindrance to us. Like we are going to help them with everything we can, even if they don't stay with us, even if there isn't actual space for them. So, so it's so funny because I'm like, as we're talking, like I'm like listening to like the last ten years. I'm like, man, I wish it's it was more organized because it hasn't been. But I'm like, where we're at now, it's like it makes so much sense. Like our current company, I'm like so passionate about it. It feels so thought through and together, and I really feel like. We're in our stride, but I would have never pegged the last 10 years to happen that way uh, to get to that point, which is a similar thing to like getting married. And you're like, when you meet your person, it's like my wife, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this is incredible. Like, I feel like no time has passed. Like you're my person. And then i look at my past. And I'm like, I would not have picked <laughs> right. as <laughs> the track record to get here. I would have rather just known you existed and made steps to meet you, you know? But it's, so it's kind of funny. It's like, I desire, for my past with business to make more sense than it does. But I think that that's kind of part of it is that like, no one's story is the same. Everyone's is different. My past leading up to our current company is kind of just chaotic and not in the same industry. And and like the, the consistent drive has always been like I've been self-initiated. I've, you know, worked hard and I've tried to do my best to learn through mistakes, no matter
0: what I've put my hand. I I think everything's Folded into itself, though the the woodworking company, woodworking and DJing didn't have much in connection. But when you applied DJing and knowing the wedding industry to woodworking and renting out furniture, like you already had an in in that industry, and you Mm -hmm. already understood, like you knew the contacts, you knew how to get your name out there in that industry, right? Mm -hmm. And and you knew that there's a need. So I mean, not everybody just like I would have never thought, yeah, there's like a need out there for like higher end furniture rental. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm like, well, people just go to Bryant's. Yeah, you know, that's true.
2: Which they do, um, and which they've got their, their stick, which is great.
1: I mean, yeah. I want to say your your path is kind of organized and flows better than the majority of people we have on here, I guess. Great, because um, a lot of them are yeah. like they start their businesses in an industry they have nothing to do with. I mean, nothing to do with. I mean,
0: take Brian McCarty. You know, he went from selling baseball cards to owning a restaurant. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, that is completely disorganized yeah. and makes me chaotic. feel a lot better. You know what I mean? So, I mean, <laughs> well, at least you have some sort of theme. There you like, go. Through yours, like baseball cards to true, running man. a restaurant. There's that's completely different. That it is. is it is total opposites.
2: That's true. It's just funny when you walk through it. You're like, man. Like, and it's kind of fun. Like when you're like talking with someone, it's like, man. Like, how do we meet? And then you like go through the story. It's like, well, I need. This. And then I'm like, that's kind of wild. You know, it's like when yeah. you think about it, it's like the avenues that. And I think that that's maybe like to an encouragement for people. It's like, if you don't feel like things are together right now and you like have desires to start a company, it's like, just like hold fast, hold tight, like know that it doesn't have to make sense, you know? Yeah. Um, And it's hard to tell yourself that in the moment, like when I'm like, you know, when I'm literally barista serving coffee to people, right? And like, it's wonderful and I love it and it's great, but it's like, this wasn't anywhere on the map. Um, but it led to, I mean, the number of people that I met at the coffee shops that ultimately led to like your whole life is just like weirdly blended together in a way that you, you know, will one day find out. And in a lot of ways, we'll never find out. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of it. So,
0: well, but, and and the what you think the role is going to be in the title is never what it is mm-hmm. until way later, I feel like. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been running restaurants since I was 21, 22. Yeah. Um, and been an owner of restaurants, and I did not get like away from making burgers and ringing up orders until probably about a year ago. there you go like there was not a day that went by that I wasn't like regularly in the restaurant like pushing food out the door yeah. and then all of a sudden, like a channel clicked to where I was really focusing on growing the business, growing the leadership teams, growing the culture um instead of having to like fill the holes and fill the gaps and make stuff happen. Yeah. And that's great. You know, I I mean, I had moments, many moments over that um, six, seven year timeframe where it was like, did I really like invest all this money, do all this work to still be like working grill? Yeah. You know, like this is like a $15 an hour like position here and I'm just, sweating away like over the grill you know going going home smelling like hamburgers
2: Mm.
0: and it's very humbling
2: yeah that sounds like amazing but i'd love to go
0: home and smell like hamburgers i go home and smell like (laughs) body odor after a day of contracting it's actually kind of funny because now i kind of miss the simplicity of that sometimes where like i'll go home and i'll have like one leadership conversation to a meeting Mm -hmm. to solving this big issue to this and then i go home and i'm just like so wiped and it's like man I can work a 12 hour shift on grill and I saw the mental capacity of like a beast. Cause like I just did something simple all day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I come home and I'm physically like, I'm not drained, but mentally I'm just exhausted. It's like nice. I'm just a vegetable.
2: Yeah. No, I feel that man for sure. So, but, um, but yeah, so I mean, so that's essentially like indoorsy where it's at, how it started. Or I mean the, how we got to that point, Um, the name where we launched and then essentially like, our whole purpose, like once we started one property, I think we we pretty quickly saw the potential for more just because of connections, because of, you know, man, like like Luke and I talking one day was like, this actually kind of hits both of our things. Like like from a design and architecture standpoint and contracting, it really hit like my shtick. And then for Luke, like being, he was in the nonprofit space for like seven years and has always been a part of like, like Luke is like everyone's best friend. And like, and I really mean that I'm like, he's just the best. Like I was, Luke was Alan's brother for about three months in Lexington. And then pretty soon it's like, Oh, you're Luke's brother. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the older brother, but I'm Luke's brother. So just cause <laughs> he, he's so great at like making people feel valued and loved and like, and he genuinely cares about people. And That's so, awesome. so this business was an overlap of like, we get to design and build and make beautiful spaces for people to stay in. Um, And then also like on the comms and communications side of, like hosting guests and like making people feel valued, like Luke just felt super fulfilled in that portion. And so I think after that first property, we both like looked at each other one day and we're like, like, this is it. We just kind of had like that feeling. Um, And so then we started thinking through like, all right, like what do we want for this company? Like, what are its values? Like, what are the things that we want to, you know, like lean on? Um, And so our, our company values that we kind of set were we're honor, excellence, and beauty. And so we're like, we want people to feel honored when they encounter us and, you know, want to build a culture of honor with what we're doing for our employees, for our guests, for everybody. And then we want to do, be excellent at everything we do and just pursue excellence um, as a way to continually like challenge ourselves, and then create beauty. um, Yes. in spaces because we're doing Airbnbs and people like a beautiful space, but um. Also, beauty and relationships and and things like that. So, um. But uh. But yeah. So that's kind of like where it started, where it launched. The heartbeat behind it, and um. And then it it's weird, but like, it just kind of like organically grew from there. And I think that like by July we're gonna have about forty properties. Like, it's like it's it's getting to the point where it's like we have ni- uh, We have twenty now, and another nineteen in the books or twenty over the next six months
0: all that you've designed or just manage or both so we do um this
2: last year i I did like a a look um to see which ones we did we we did eight entire property renovations last year and we did 12 design and installs and so like every month we are designing and furnishing a property and every month and a half we are doing an entire home renovation so um, now
0: i I see some paint on your hands or something (laughs) Are you actually getting in there and doing some of the work? Still, do, still doing the work,
2: man. Yeah, um, I love it. It's great. Yeah, so I'm kind of over. We always say that our, our company is design, build, and host. It's got like yeah. those three words. I'm like on design and build. So design being furnishing, build being contracting, and then host being a lot of like the co-hosting stuff. The host is a beast. And Luke and two employees that we have, Nathan and Kate, are over that whole portion. And I'm kind of heading up the design and the build portion of things. So yeah, so this is tile grout from yesterday. That um, I, I love it, man. I tend to, we we sub out a lot of stuff now, but I'm definitely you know even with things working and being good, like I'm you know I'm still in the spot where I'm flipping burgers in the back, you know, and right. uh, um and grouting tile, and you know, enjoy it while you can. All those things. <laughs> it, it's actually very funny. Like I was, <laughs> I was talking to my wife one day. She called me while I was working, and I was literally. She's like, "What are you doing?". And I had like a, the, this like toilet leaning over, and I'm just scraping just whack a waxy poopy ring off the ground. That's awesome. And I'm like, I'm scraping a wax, you know, covered and poop covered ring off of a toilet. And I was like, What are you doing? And she's like, Oh, like you know, at the Treasury, we just got to like, you know, like write a letter, you know, to the president on behalf of like the Treasury. And I'm just like, Sounds sounds just like what I'm doing, you know. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's funny because it's like. It's I always use that example, they're both important in so different ways, you know, like hundred percent, and then so, um, yeah, so I'm still still very much in the uh the boots on the ground portion, but um, it's becoming less and less that um, as time goes on,
0: yeah, I've dealt with my fair share of contractors mm-hmm. and unfortunately, I've not found many that were great in my time mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that I could really just be hands off with mm-hmm. and uh sometimes. I feel like it's just easier like to just do the work and yeah. not have to have the stress of dealing with a contractor than like there's so few good contractors out there in my mm-hmm. opinion um that I just don't have to worry about. Yeah. Um I've I've met a couple now that I've weeded out a ton of the bad ones, but I've just had so many bad ones. Yeah. Where it was just so bad and yeah. I feel your yeah, I feel your pain. Yeah. And it, and I mean it's the same way with employees, right? You hire an employee. Yeah. I think they're going to be great. And, Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's really interesting. I mean, I'm sure that, I mean, if you guys listen to a lot of different podcasts and all the, all the people that you've brought up that are, you know, bigger than Lexington that have different things, like, you know, a ton of people like will repeatedly talk, people say, oh, like it's cliche to say X, Y, Z, but it's like, there's a reason that people talk about company culture so much. There's a reason that people talk about like relinquishing control as a business owner, because like all of those things are super applicable for your company to be successful, for you to be able to to scale and for you to be able to like successfully operate a company from like, you know, the coordinator's box. Like we always talk about like how, like my goal, like I don't want to be Tom Brady. Like, like I want someone else to be Tom Brady. Like I want to be Belichick on the side or more realistically up top, like telling Belichick what's going on, seeing the field from the bird's eye view. And then he's letting Tom know what to do. And then Tom's throwing the pass to, you know, whoever that, that we use that terminology a lot. Yeah. Because we're just trying to get ourselves off the field. So if we can get ourselves on the field um, and give Tom and his, you know, his crew, since we're on first name basis, you guys know. Um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> give them what they need to right. win to win the game. Um and so our job really does, and I think this is a business owner's job. Like you as a good owner and a good leader, your job is to give people what they need and make them feel valued because they are valued. Right. You know, not just as like a way to gaslight them, but like, no, like you are valuable this company would not be what it is without you. What do you need to make sure that you're doing your job well? So well leadership, it, it's so funny. I'm like, that's like a whole other thing. But like, you know, it's a—it's the, if you're a business owner, you're a leader. And, yeah, you know, learning those different lessons is,
0: uh, you know, it's really important. To me, that's the hardest. Yeah. Like genuinely, that's the hardest. I've always been a hard worker.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so working extra, working hard, that always just came natural to me, yeah, but getting other people on board with the same vision that I have mm-hmm. and like you're talking about like going from billlichick to like the GM of of the Patriots right like those levels, your job looks so different oh yeah, and it's and I, I haven't even gotten to all those levels yet, but like just I've been this year has been a transition year for me. Mm-hmm. And it's been probably one of the harder years, just because there's been so many, so so much time where I feel like I've just been wasting time mm-hmm. because I'm trying to learn what to do. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, and it is. It's exactly that. Like it's sometimes there's not a not a book that you can read to get you into a certain a, certain, a situation or like to help give you an answer on what to do in those moments. Right. Um, and it's like as much as we knew and as you know is is. I don't, don't have a story where like, I'm just starting a business last year. I'm like, I've been in the business world and having my own thing for a long time. And even still like this last, in the last two years of launching this company, two and a half, um, there have been more learning curves at such a higher amount because of like one, the sheer scale of the company being the biggest that it's been. And like the m- most breadth, like, I mean, there's, you know, 30 plus like subs and contractors and people and cleaners cleaning in different cities. and. Um, you know, contractors on different job sites. And it's right. like, that's a much bigger thing than like me and my brother and our two people who help us move tables, right? And so um, so um, the, the higher up you go, I think the more difficult, but also like you start realizing that like relinquishing control and putting good people um, in charge and like the learning process of that is like, it's the best way for your organization to run the best, you know? Right. Because like if you have a vision for something and you want to be the visionary and you want to like, Start those opportun- opportunities. You have to be a good leader. You have to make sure your business is operating well, and you have to spend time learning and failing through that. In the same way that they're learning and failing through their roles, yeah, you know, and their positions.
0: So. And it's so hard because no one, no one's telling you that you should be spending time on this or you shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, another Alex from Mosey quote: "You don't know what you don't know." Yeah. You know. So.
2: Yeah.
1: Until it smacks you in the face, you just <laughs> don't know
2: it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. No, very
0: true.
1: On all the Airbnbs you're working with, is it mostly Lexington area? Do you have any in Lawrenceburg? Um, I know you're doing some Red River Gorge with Matt Hogg yeah. on his kind of stuff. So kind of where all are you all managing them? Yeah, so we have uh, we have properties in Lexington. Um, we have a couple
2: properties in Lawrenceburg, which is where I live. Um, and then we also have um, a, a big portion of properties in the Red River Gorge area, which, yeah, with Hog, So we do a lot of stuff with Hogg, and, um, and he was... He was the mysterious first property. So um, because of Matt pursuing that one property, it was really kind of what opened the door to a lot of this. Um, and so, um, yeah. And then uh, those different industries too. It's like Lexington, very much like urban industry. People know about Lexington, horses, uh, Keeneland, um sports all of that and then Lawrenceburg is really most travelers there for kind of like bourbon trail that's mm-hmm. a big a big draw for Lawrenceburg also amongst the fact that there's you know there's not really any um there's one hotel in Lawrenceburg so there's also just a demand for places to stay yeah. and then the gorge is very much like hiking outdoors you know national forest kind of vibe so um so very different places but um we're kind of like it's all within that central there's about an hour and a half drive that we tend to frequent. Um, but um but the gorge is really where we're putting a lot of our, our time and effort.
0: What's what's been your favorite project so far? So from my understanding, you guys are doing more upscale mm-hmm. Airbnb designs, which I feel like either need to do like low bar, simple, and it's super cheap, um and high value, or you need to go like way upscale or and it's very like unique. super yeah, yeah, super unique, super trendy, I'm gonna get to the top of the list. There's not like I feel like that's where all the money is. It's either super value and like mm-hmm. it's just booked all the time and crazy or super high end mm-hmm. and it's just booked all the time yeah because of that yeah so my right. work so you got to have a get some pretty cool projects i'm assuming yeah so we we definitely are kind of
2: more in that higher end kind of spot and we we made that decision i think when we had started of like okay like i have a degree in design we want these spaces to be like dank like we want someone to walk in yeah. and be like oh man someone knew what they were doing um and we even work we have an interior designer we work with even now um april and she's wonderful and so i'm like making spaces super hand and nice is not in everyone's budget right um right. so we kind of hit more on that high-end um portion but if you're economy that's fine as well um my my alex Hormozzi is uh, a guy named horse schulza who is like the founder of the Ritz Carlton
1: Hotels. Okay.
2: So, if you guys want like your plug of like like your new favorite dude when it comes to culture, yeah. um, he's got a book called Excellence Wins and he's done a lot of like speaking engagements. But he always talks about how you have to pick your niche. And he's like, so for hotels, whether you're like, if you're a best Western, be the best, best Western you can be. And if you're the Ritz Carlton, be the best ritz carlton you know both can make money so um i would say coolest projects that we have going on right now that we get really excited about um are the ones that we're doing with hog and the gorge um and so he's actually developing an entire area out there um called nature rooms and he's doing um geodome uh houses and so like treehouse kind of style geodesic dome tent structures um which are super unique and cool and then he's also starting to develop these uh, houses that are called OOD Houses, which is a company out of Estonia. Uh, and they're like full mirror facade, tiny houses. So we really like the whole like tiny house, unique structure kind of thing. And really where most of we're, what we're doing is kind of gearing toward that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but we do still have some traditional cabins in the gorge and you know houses in Lexington. No one's put it up a geodome in Lexington
0: yet. So um, That's pretty dope. Yeah, but it's cool. And, and I feel like those are like what gets booked all the time like there's the cave mm-hmm. in ohio or whatever yeah
1: yeah hawking hills oh, yeah
0: yeah hawking yeah. hills and like my wife and i looked that thing up they have like an a-frame mm-hmm. and a cave and a house and the a-frame and the cave are booked out like a year and a half out oh in yeah advance. and it's like three thousand dollars a night it's crazy like it's crazy like i'm sure it cost them a crap ton to build it out and everything but if you're like guaranteed a year and a half out bookings like it's totally worth it and like yeah. doing cool unique things they're just different and awesome Like. Uh some people just made some bur- bourbon barrels. I don't know. That's in Lawrenceburg. Yeah, in Lawrenceburg. Yeah. Yeah. Um That's our competition. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh They're but guys. like I was like, man, that's like that's cool. Like nobody's made bourbon barrels yet. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's a cool like space to be in. Yeah. So yeah. I I think it's cool that that you guys are doing like those unique builds. Yeah. And and they gotta be really fun to work on because it's always like a new unique mm-hmm. build. Cause you, you can't just I mean you can maybe copy two or three, but then yeah. you gotta start doing something different. Yeah.
2: There's also not a lot of like, you know, when you talk to a contractor about like, I want to build a tree house, like who, what contractor has done that before? Or like you right. talk to a contractor, right. but like, like how do you put this geodome together? It's like you 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 have to figure out all those things as you go. So we do love like the newness portion to it and the fact that they're just super cool to work on. Also that they're super cool experiences for guests. So it's like everyone has experienced a hotel, everyone has experienced a lot of people vacation homes. Like even before Airbnb, you were renting cabins that Gatlinburg with your family and stay in there. And so, but like staying in a tree house is a unique spot. And I really think that like the unique structures portion of Airbnb or Verbo or whatever, like, I think that like the demand for that is just going to like increase. Um, right. And uh, I think that that's a really cool thing to be a part of. And not everyone who does what we do is in that space. Like it, a lot of that is because of like the clients. So if we didn't have someone like Matt, who is like down to like build something super awesome and unique and different, then we wouldn't have had that opportunity to just do that, um, and so and we have luckily there's like a few investors that we work with that um, really want to hit that kind of mark. We want something unique, something high end, something different uh, to bring to the table because um, the market in general is like, you know, it's uh, it's variable, but it's you know, when something becomes popular and areas become popular, people tend to, you know. Want to build there and kind of oversaturate it. So, I right. think if there is any potential for oversaturation with Airbnb with Verbo, then I think it's the properties that are really sticking sticking out um, and being unique and being different and providing unique amenities that are going to make it through. So,
0: so you mentioned that you guys own a couple yourself. Yeah. So how's that been going for you guys? Yeah, it's kind of cool that you're able to like kind of double dip. You can use your company to own some of your own and then also to help others
2: yeah so you know that's that we actually have our our first investments were last year so and this everything is everything that i'm sharing on the business front it's all the same let's like so when it comes to like you know yeah we learned about i learned about launching businesses from like buying and reselling and keeping you know money and putting the equity toward the future but then we you know when we started to think about real estate we're like man we you know how do you get into real estate you know and it's like you can't just go to a bank and say i want to get into real estate and they're like well and i was like my company started a month ago and like when you do that i think i think it's like <clears throat> they like pat you on the back and then like send you out with a mint yeah we're,
0: and, we're not we're
2: not counting your income <laughs> yeah exactly and so then you're like crap so our series of getting into that was like okay well, we can't afford to maybe like they like a bank laughs at us so like what can we do it's like well we can buy land like really cheap land and just pay for it cash so we bought like a piece of land and then we like held onto it and a year and a half later, we sold it. And then we took that piece of money and then we bought another piece of land that was bigger and then we sold that piece of land. And so we essentially, after two pieces of land, we actually had enough capital to work with someone to get, you know, to, to have some stake in on some cabins. And we had an investor um, that we are a partner with on those as well, which their monetary kind of helps okay. with some of the um, the loan portion of that. But essentially, that's kind of how we got to that point of getting there. And I think that, really our goal would be you know to do with a few people's projects really well and then some cool stuff of our own um i don't think that our goal is really to become like a big company for hosting like that we are like the company in the gorge for you know a property management or whatever um because we don't even really kind of do that we're more on the design and construction we do what we call hosting and kind of like consulting you know in that arena so um so it's been really cool though to like have your own because you know like you said you're able to build it so you're able to your company's able to do the things we do for everybody else and then in addition to that your your property is gaining equity along the way as well so yeah. so i think that our goal has kind of been like you know for every five properties we do we'd like to have one of our own
0: um and kind of keep up with that as we're growing yeah it could <laughs> be a model too where you you know you said you have you've been investors in some mm-hmm. you know you can offer maybe some slightly discounted construction costs to have some sweat equity sure. in a property,
2: mm-hmm. and I
0: know that bigger pockets. If if you know, y'all are familiar
2: with that. Like, there's a lot of conversation about ways that they're able as hosts to come in with equity into right. a project. And because you know, I think that our company brings a lot of value that an investor might not have, and right. a lot of knowledge because we've been doing this for a while. And um, and the ins and outs of multiple properties. I'm like, we're learning in two years what it takes some people, like you know, eight or nine, to learn with one or two properties, so. right? Um, yeah, so, um, but yeah, so that's been really, I mean, and it's, it's, you know, every company is different and stuff, but I think when it comes to real estate and stuff like that, it's a lot easier conversation when you're talking about like equity and sharing percentage and giving up stake than it is like a small business. Like, I think that's a stick, a stickier kind of thing to talk about and it's harder, but I think it's much more practical to like, say like, Hey, would you guys go in on like, we'll, we'll split these percentages. We'll go in on this thing together. And, um, there's a lot of different ways that you can kind of cut that. Got that up, but, yeah. but we've loved it. So it's it's been it's been fun to kind of have some of our investments. We have four cabins that we're we're partners in the gorge. It's awesome, um, and then a big well, a piece of land in Lawrenceburg that we're hopefully looking to develop. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah. So biggest lessons you've learned over the past let's say five years as we're wrapping up here. Let's let's hit maybe the biggest lessons you've learned is just like entrepreneur, business owner, mm-hmm. and then you know. I guess favorite bourbon or what are you excited <laughs> going on in
1: Lexington right now um, or Central Kentucky. We also got to talk about his phone a little bit. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, alan we got a here? flip phone. <laughs> yeah, we, we got about six minutes, seven minutes. <laughs>
2: oh man, all right. I got to hit this in six minutes.
0: Okay, we'll hit on. We'll, we'll
2: wrap up with the flip phone. It's a fun ending thing to yeah. get people on. Um, I would say biggest lesson for me, it's like we talk about all this stuff and it's like I'm like having trouble trying to piece it together and then think about where we're at now and all that. It's like like when it comes to company stuff, like the biggest lesson that like I've learned that I would also say, like my brother would say as well, is that like culture is really everything. Like mm. it is, it is absolutely everything. Like with our company, the most fun that we have and the most excited we are and the most passionate we are is about making sure that our company culture is good. And so it's like, I love like the people we work with and like the two full-time people we have are just amazing. Um, am Nathan and Kate. And like, like our company wouldn't be what it is without them. Um, and I like want them to feel valued and cared for um, in ways that we might be, haven't been in other companies we've been part of. So everything we do for the company and have done for this company has been create a wonderful culture for your employees, for your uh, your vendors and the people that you're subbing out, for your uh, clients, you know, the people who are running these homes that, you know, you're sending checks to, for the guest, you know, that enter, which is the lifeblood of like, who is paying the money to come? Right, but like we 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 think about it from the top down like that. Like we don't necessarily think about it from like like you know the customer is always right. Like everything for the customer, it's like I, we actually see things from like your team needs to be taken care of first, like to make sure that like that's good, and then it's like once your team is taken care of, of course, like everything that you're doing is like for the client. Beyond that, like right. your your good team is carrying things out for the client, and then you guys are providing this service to the customers and guests. So um, people always say like you're in the business, the, the people business serving blank or doing blank. And so I think that like, that would I say would, would be like the biggest lesson that we've learned or the thing that we try to apply the most is create a really good culture. Everything else will kind of follow. We'll just sum it up at that. I won't even give anything else. Just that. Just good culture. You focus on that. Oh, we got to hit the phone. And then the phone. The all phone. right. all right. We yeah. got to hit the phone. Yeah. yeah. I have a flip phone, guys. So this will be my little... uh my little uh, shameless plug for the and then whenever you get done with your phone, you can say, All right, bye. And it closes. You do get That's to amazing. slam that phone. You yeah. get to slam it with it's
0: honestly funny, like that you have a business where you're like a host <laughs> <laughs> and you have a flip phone. And also you're like in the design world. So like part of like branding that and it like sharing that would be through social media posts of like awesome pictures. And like yeah, that is such a sacrifice. <laughs> In so many ways, but it's so respectable and awesome.
2: Yeah. It's funny because it's like specific to our... This is another... I'll, I'll tie the flip phone into a company lesson. So the flip phone was like a personal conviction of I wanted to be more present in the world. Like just got married. Want to be more present with my wife. Want to be present with my kids. Want to be present in my business. Like I don't want to just be the person that's always super distracted. And as a business owner, you're, you'll... You know, it's like you have the easiest... Like you can get distracted and work 247. You can work at 1130 as you're laying in your bed at night on your phone. And like that is a hard thing to maintain mental health while you're consistently working. So the nice thing about having a flip phone is it compartmentalizes everything for me. So when I do emails, I'm at my computer batch doing emails. Um, at five o'clock, this thing is done. I'm not, I don't look at it until the next morning. And I, when I say that, that's an over-exaggeration. I'll che- usually check it before bed, make sure there's nothing pertinent. Um, if employees have questions and there's emergencies, I'm clearly available for phone calls, but
0: yeah, or if your mom calls you,
2: yeah, or your mom, yeah. yeah, but, um, but you're not getting you know sucked into any apps because there's not any, you're not wasting time on a browser that you don't have you're you are it is a tool, you know, a tool to get the job done, and so for that reason, I really like it, but um, but also to the company portion of things, I think that there's a big you know. In the world of business, people would say that this is a terrible business move because like you're missing out on opportunity or you're you're not able to make your stuff look cool. like we literally have a whole company based on like the design of properties and guest communication with people hosting. And I have a flip phone that's not equipped for that. And my brother also has one. Um, but what we've noticed is that like we have done for this company, the least amount of marketing of any company we've been part of. And it's been the most successful company. And I think that's a crazy. big part portion of that is because we we put so much into culture and relationship that the organic growth that that's hit has done way more than any Instagram return would ever do, and so we're kind of more than be
0: in your handbook. No smartphones allowed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we we allow them. We just if people don't want them, we encourage that. And so that's awesome. Which is funny. So, but yeah. So there's sure. the story of the flip phone. It's it's probably a eight year story in the making, but. That's the uh, three-minute version of it.
1: So. Well, that's awesome. Well, Alan, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Kind of unpacking all the different businesses. Yeah, man. I'll say I don't even know if you'll have social media Be able will plug you all in the show notes <laughs> or anything. But <laughs> You guys have Facebook or it, Instagram? And Dorsey has Instagram
2: and it has yeah. uh, a, fa- a Facebook and a LinkedIn. I actually do have a LinkedIn page. That's the only social media that I have is LinkedIn. So yeah. you can uh, give us a shout. We'll, on we'll make
1: sure uh, people have a way to... Reach in Dorsey. Yeah, for sure.
2: So I also com. We, we do have a website. We're we're with the times. We just uh the, the ownership is just uh, hilariously removed about a decade. So
1: <laughs> two awesome. decades.
2: Love it. So but thank you guys for having me this one. Yeah, thanks.